Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians. We're looking at the book of 2 Corinthians uh, for a few moments this evening in our walk through the New Testament uh, series. And the last Sunday night, we took a stroll through 1 Corinthians. And this evening, we're going to um, look at 2 Corinthians together. Whenever we deal with the New Testament epistles that were written by the Apostle Paul, we are looking at uh, letters that are all about the missionary journeys that was the first wave of fulfilling the Great Commission that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples uh, there in the beginning of the book of Acts, at the end of the Gospels as well, and also in the book of Acts. And uh, this, uh, these letters um, really take on deeper meaning to us when we know the backstory of the letters. That is never more important than Second Corinthians. The backstory behind Second Corinthians is extremely important to understand, to be able to appreciate what is said in Second Corinthians. And uh, so we want to consider a little bit of that backstory this evening. Uh, of course, the the Book of Acts is all about missionary teams planting churches and mentoring those churches as the influences of a pagan culture and even heretical traveling teachers threaten the future vitality of those churches. And so when you know the backstory of what's going on, you begin to understand some of the statements that are made. It's like in anything. You've been in a situation where someone has said something and somebody else laughed and it wasn't funny to you, and you realize that you don't know the backstory. Uh, you don't know why that was funny. And uh, your lack of information robbed you of the opportunity to enjoy the meaning of what you heard. And it's that way in reading some of the New Testament epistles. If you don't know the back story, you don't really understand the statements that are made as you read. And uh, so the more you know about the back story, the more you appreciate and value the Word of God. Uh, if I had to put a... The bottom line up front on the message this evening and one future message on 2 Corinthians, it would be only love could cause me to put up with this. Only love could cause me to put up with this. And the back story explains why, that, why I would say that. Behind 2 Corinthians is a battle for the future of Christianity. It's not a new battle. It's as old as Abraham's relationship with God versus a mistaken understanding of the purpose of the Mosaic Covenant. It flows from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's a battle between whether we're saved by works or by grace. Did the Mosaic Law prescribe a way that I could earn my way into the favor of God? Or did the Mosaic Law merely provide a mirror so I could see how bad I am? causing me to flee to Calvary for the grace of God that I do not merit. It's the battle of whether salvation is by grace or by works or some combination or mixture of the two, like the Mormons have explained to me, that they believe that we're saved by the, by the works of our life. And when we can't quite be good enough, the grace of God will push us over the line. And... And so this battle is an old battle. Jesus Christ com uh, combated this battle, dealt with this battle in his earthly ministry. 
And it has been dealt with from that time all the way up into the present. Will heretical and heretical Judaistic interpretation of Christianity destroy the possibility of world evangelism? That's the issue in Second Corinthians. Will the Judaistic idea that it's okay to believe in Jesus, but you also have to prescribe to obedience to the law of Moses in order to really be saved, will this heretical teaching frustrate the grace of God, as the language in Galatians has it, will it frustrate the grace of God and railroad the great commission of sending the gospel to the Gentile world. Do Gentile believers need to fall under the Mosaic law to really be saved? That's the battle in the backstory that is occurring in the Apostle Paul's life. Now, because of the depth of this backstory, we're going to not take a walk through First Second Corinthians. We're going to slow down, take a little stroll. And this evening, I want to share with you the back story. And in a future Sunday evening, we're going to look at the, the book itself and step through Second Corinthians and see the major flow of truth that Second Corinthians gives us. This evening, I want us to merely look at the, at the back story. And if, and if we could think of the back story like a, like a play with, with some acts. Four acts in this tragic play. It's a tragedy. It's a Greek tragedy. The tragedy is Christianity is going to fail. The true gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be forever corrupted. Everything's on the line. If Paul loses this argument, it's all over. The back story is a tragedy. And I see it with four acts. The first act of the play is an unexpected conflict. Paul didn't expect this. It was an unexpected conflict. And this backstory plays out in large measure in the book of Acts. And so you have on your screen here the um, first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. God told the disciples that they were going to uh, evangelize Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And they were going to go through that process. The first seven chapters of the book of Acts has them evangelizing Jerusalem, which would be just kind of down off the screen down here. And they, in chapters one through seven, they, uh, they evangelized throughout Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapters eight through twelve, they branched out into Judea and Samaria. Of course, Judea would be the province that Jerusalem is in, and Samaria would reach up in the northern parts of uh, just south of Galilee. And so in Acts chapters 8 to 12, they were evangelizing in, the, in that evangelistic uh, direction. Saul had persecuted the church in Acts chapter 8, and as a result of his persecution, uh, the church scattered. And they scattered out into Judea and Samaria in Acts 8. In Acts 9, the Apostle Paul got saved and God revealed to Paul that he was going to be God's emissary to evangelize amongst the Gentiles. 
Up until now, everything has been Jewish. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. The gospel has gone to the Jewish people. People who were under the law of Moses and had the Old Testament scriptures. But now God saves Paul and says, Paul, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. You're even going to stand before kings to represent me. You're going to take the gospel beyond Israel. You're going to go to the Gentile world, to the uttermost part of the earth. And so in chapter 10, God saves the first Gentile of notoriety, Cornelius. Cornelius lived in Caesarea, which would be just along the seacoast. Right. Well, there it is. Right. Where does Caesarea? There we go. Seacoast. Caesarea is just above Jerusalem. And so the uh, God saved Cornelius uh, and uh, from in Caesarea. He was uh, he was the one who first received the gospel as a Gentile. You remember Peter, God had to uh, twist Peter's arm. Peter was the apostle to the Jews, not the Gentiles. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews, and God had to twist Peter's arm to get him to give the gospel to this Gentile, Cornelius. And, uh, and so Peter learns in Acts chapter 10, verse number 34, Peter learned that the gospel was going to go to the Gentiles. Hey, this is good news. The gospel is going to go to the regions beyond. In chapter 11, the Jewish church leaders question Peter. What, we, we've heard that you took the gospel to some Gentiles. We heard that, that, uh, that, that the Spirit of God came on the Gentiles. What is this? You, were, you went into their home. You ate a meal with these uncircumcised Gentiles. What are you thinking, Peter? And they called him into question as to his uh, giving the gospel. And and Peter shared the story. He told the story. And then, very important, at the end of chapter 11, in verse number 18, the leaders in the church at Jerusalem recognized that God had, in fact, saved a Gentile outside of Israel, and it didn't require the law of Moses to do so, that They rejoiced that the gospel had gone to the Gentiles. And then the rest of chapter 11 is all about the gospel going all the way up to Antioch. Let's go back to that previous screen now. And uh, all the way up to Antioch. So the gospel came all the way up to Antioch. You remember that as a result of the persecution of the church in Jerusalem, the scattering of the church, that the gospel finally reached all the way north to Antioch in Syria. And when the church in Jerusalem heard about that, they thought, well, we better check this out, make sure this is legit. So they send Barnabas to go to Antioch in Syria to check out what's going on, the rumors they're hearing. And so he goes and and and. Oh, God's just doing amazing things. I mean, God is changing lives, saving Gentile souls. They, they were so changed by the power of the gospel of Christ, they actually began to live just like Jesus to the point that people began for the first time to call the followers of Jesus Christ Christians, Christ-like ones. Well, Barnabas had his hands full. He couldn't handle it all. And so he went up to, to Tarsus where he knew... We can go back and stay on the previous screen here for a few minutes. I've got you messed up. My clues I gave you, I didn't follow. I'm sorry. From Antioch, Barnabas went up to Tarsus because he knew that's where Saul had gone. You remember when Saul got saved in Acts 9, no one trusted him because he had been persecuting the Christians. No one would trust him. God used Barnabas 
to come beside Paul and to help him in his early Christian days. Paul then went back to Tarsus and has been there for a few couple of years. And so Barnabas knows Saul is up in in Tarsus. So Barnabas leaves Antioch, goes up to Tarsus, gets Paul, says, I need an assistant pastor. Would you come with me to Antioch and serve with me? We've got a lot of work to do. And so at the end of chapter 11, Barnabas and Paul are both still named Saul, but they're both in um, in uh, Antioch and the gospel is being spread. Uh, the the foothold is, has been started. The church at Antioch became the seedbed for the missionary journeys to the uttermost part of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's all Jewish evangelism. But Antioch became the hub of Gentile world evangelism. And so we have the Acts chapter 13 through 8 through 28, recording the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, that started with this first missionary journey. The first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas, uh, pastor, the, the two pastors of the church, uh, God said to the church, uh, time for them to move on. You all make do and without, a pastor, without your pastors. And God sent them out on a missionary journey. They went across the island of Cyprus. They went up into Asia Minor. We call it today Turkey. They started churches. They went to Pergia. This is the Pisidian Antioch. This is the Syrian Antioch. There are two Antiochs in your Bible. So they went into the Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lister, Derby. They planted churches. They went back and they came back home to their home church. So their first missionary journey, they come home from the first missionary journey and they are excited. You should see what God is doing in the Gentile world. Let me tell you about the stories of souls getting saved. Hey, I want to tell you about the story of how God started that church in Antioch, in the Pisidian Antioch. I want to tell you all about Iconium. Oh, it was, it was crazy. And, and the excitement. Paul and Barnabas came back from the missionary journey. They were excited about the amazing work that God had done in the outreach to the Gentiles. The first wave of evangelizing the uttermost part of the earth. But something Paul didn't see coming. It was an unexpected conflict. There were Jewish Christians there in the Syrian Antioch church as well as Gentile Christians. In fact, it may have been made up mostly of Jewish Christians. They were called Grecians. They were Greek-speaking Jewish people. And all of a sudden, this conflict came up. You read about it in Acts chapter, 13, Acts chapter 15. It's a conflict about how to get saved. In Acts 15, 1-3, talks about the grace of God and the law of Moses. Do you, can you really be saved as a Gentile if you don't get circumcised? If you're male and you don't get circumcised, can you really be saved? Acts chapter 15, verse 1. This is Paul. He just got back from this first missionary journey to the Gentiles in an unexpected conflict. Acts 15, 1, certain men which came down from Judea. So down, you look on your map and you think, well, Judea and Jerusalem is down here. How do they come down? Well, it's from Jerusalem to Antioch. That's not up. That's down. Because you've got to think of topography. Jerusalem's up on a mountain. They went north and came down to Antioch in elevation to the northern city of Antioch. And so these people that is being talked about in Acts 15, 1, 
are Jewish Christians from Jerusalem. And they come and they say, except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Paul, we've heard your stories, but did you circumcise them? We've heard you tell about the miracles amongst the Gentiles, but did you tell them about the law of Moses? These are Gentiles. They never had the Old Testament. What do you mean? But did you put them under the law of Moses and tell them that you can't really be saved unless... You come under the law of Moses. Well, verse number two of Acts 15 says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So this big argument broke out. Paul's blown away. I mean, <laughs> you're not excited that they got saved and churches were started? No, we want to know if you circumcised them. Because they're not really saved if you don't circumcise them. And they got into a big fight in the church at Antioch. And so they said, you know, you guys came from Jerusalem. I think we need to send Paul and Barnabas down to the elders at the church in Jerusalem and have a conversation on the doctrine of salvation. How does a person really get saved? And so in chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, they have the council meeting in the Jerusalem church. They laid out the issue. Chapter 7, Peter spoke. He was the apostle to the Jews. Remember, the apostle that was to reach out to the Jewish people. He spoke. Then Barnabas and Paul spoke in verses in verse 12. He, Paul was the apostle that was sent to the Gentile people. And then uh, James, the lead pastor, spoke in verse number 13 and gave a final conclusion. And then when you come down to verse number 19, wherefore my sentence is, this is James, which seems to be the lead pastor in the Jerusalem church. James said, my sentence is that we trouble not them which are among the Gentiles are turned to God. That's his final conclusion. They don't have to come under the law of Moses. If they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he saved them, they're saved, period. That's my final decision. But, remind those Gentile Christians, verse number 20, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. And so they said the final decision is they don't have to be under the law of Moses to get saved, but remind them in every city where you're out planting churches, there are some Jewish people there. And just for the sake of unity and for the sake of not being a problem, there's some things you probably ought not to practice uh, as a Jew, as a Gentile convert. But it's nothing to do with salvation. It's more to do with um, just, just don't live foolishly and don't become a problem amongst these Gentile churches. Now, we learn more about this Jerusalem council in the book of Galatians chapter 2. We're not going to go and, and spend time there, but in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, the Apostle Paul, writing to the churches here in uh, Galatia, these churches here that had been started when Paul later wrote the book of Galatians to these churches he told them some more information about that council meeting that is not included in Acts 15. And um, 
And so there is this sense of unity in Antioch and Jerusalem now regarding Gentile salvation. Gentiles get saved by believing in Christ, not by some amalgamation of Christ and the law of Moses. They're saved by their faith in Christ. And unity prevailed uh, amongst the churches in Jerusalem and Antioch. The law fulfilled its purpose. What's the purpose of the law? Paul will later write to the church at Rome and lay out very explicitly what the purpose of the law. He also does it in the book of Galatians when he writes to the Galatian churches. The purpose of the law is a mirror to show me how bad I am. It's not a mechanism whereby I attain salvation from God. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, Wherefore then serveth the law? He said, It was given to us that are transgressors, that we might see how guilty, we might become guilty before God. And once we become guilty before God, then we're ready for the gospel to show us how that guilt could be remedied by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the law fulfilled its purpose in that it brought people to guilt and to whatever measure the Ten Commandments may have been used in some of these Gentile churches because there were Jewish people. You know, whenever Paul went into town, a Gentile town, he went to the synagogue first and he started with the base of people that knew the Old Testament and knew the Mosaic Law and he built a base and then reached out into the Gentile community of that town. And so the law fulfilled its purpose. People were guilty. The answer was Jesus. He died on the cross Trust in him. And so uh, people saved and a wonderful unity prevailed. However, that's not the end of the story. It doesn't end with unity and blessing and everyone's on the same page. Because in Galatians chapter 2 from verse 11 to 21, Paul tells the Galatian churches about something that happened after they went back home to Antioch. After they went back home to Antioch, Problems began to resurface with the question of the relationship of Jewish believers to Gentile believers. And in Galatians chapter 2 and in verse number 11, Paul said, but when Peter was come to Antioch, so sometime after the council meeting in Acts 15, Peter made a visit to Antioch. And when Peter went to Antioch, Paul said, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Here's Paul. Who's Paul? Peter walked with Jesus Christ for three years. Peter was an apostle for years before Paul ever heard about salvation. Paul's the upstart young guy. Peter's the mentor that knew Christ and walked with him. And here's Paul standing up to Peter and putting Peter in his place. What in the world happened? Well, he said in verse number 12, For before that certain came from James, James from Jerusalem church, before certain came from James, when Peter first came to Antioch, before some other people came later from Jerusalem, Peter did eat with the Gentiles. Oh, Peter would go over to their homes and sit down and have a meal. They couldn't do that as a Jew following the Mosaic law. But Peter came up to Antioch and, you know, there was unity. Everyone agreed, you know, the Gentiles aren't under the Mosaic law. And and he accepted them. I mean, he was the one that God used to present the gospel to Cornelius, the first Gentile that God saved. 
But all of a sudden then, some other people came up from Jerusalem. Peter ate with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew himself and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So Peter is faced with some other Jewish believers that came from Jerusalem, and he's afraid of his reputation. He's afraid of what they'll say. He's intimidated by their presence. And so all of a sudden, he stopped going to the homes of the Gentiles. Now, this is a great kettle of fish. Here we have established that there's unity amongst the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, and the Gentiles are not responsible to obey the the Mosaic law, and the Jewish believers can enjoy the fellowship of the Gentile believers. And Peter was in unity with all that until intimidation, until he cared about what other people would say about him. Then he broke off the fellowship. Now, this is going to be a problem. This is going to cause a church stir. Now, all of a sudden, the whole church is, well, why won't Peter come to my house? And so Paul said, I stood up to him in his face. I said, buddy, you are a hypocrite. And Paul contested Peter's hypocrisy. And when you you read down through Galatians chapter 2, you see very emphatically stated, as in verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. In verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, Christ is dead in vain. If you could earn your way by the Mosaic law, Jesus was a fool to come and die on the cross. And so this issue is, it it, it was supposedly solved in Acts 15 at the council in Jerusalem. But now it it comes up again in in between the two missionary journeys. And all of a sudden, this, this, uh, uh, at the outset of reaching the uttermost part of the earth, the Gentile world, Paul is faced with an, with an unexpected conflict from his mentors. Barnabas, in First Galatians, Galatians chapter 2 and uh, verse number 13 says, The other Jews dissembled likewise. So as soon as Peter wouldn't go into the homes of the Gentiles, the other Jewish believers in the church broke off fellowship from the Gentile believers in the church. And even Barnabas the lead pastor that hired Paul. He also was carried away with their dissimulation. So here you've got Peter, this great apostle. You've got Barnabas, the lead pastor who hired me. And all of a sudden, they're all gone south doctrinally. And Paul stood up and said, you guys are making a mess of things. And withstood them to the face. Because of the troubles they were bringing into first generation Gentile Christianity. Do you see what's developing? Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's starting churches in the Gentile world. And all of a sudden, there is developing an unexpected conflict. Whereby the future success of Gentile evangelism is all called into question. And Paul had to confront them to the face.
there's some other acts to this play, but I think I'm just going to, I think we'll just uh, uh, end now because we've got the meetings after the service. There, Paul is going to go through a very deep time, deep time of darkness in his life. The second act of the play is an hour of darkness. It's an hour of darkness. Paul went through some excruciating, painful situations. Go ahead and give me the next map, uh, please. He's going to go back out and, and they're going to go out and they're going to uh, go back through the churches that they planted, the Gentile churches. Uh, then then he's going to wander. Uh, he, he, he tries to go places and God doesn't seem to let him go. And, and so he finally meanders over to Troas. And that's when he saw the, the man from Macedonia saying, come and help us. So he goes over and, and, he, and he plants the church at Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. He comes down to Athens, speaks on Mars Hill, goes over to Corinth and starts the church at Corinth. The church that are receiving the will receive the letters we're talking about. And so Paul goes on this uh, amazing second missionary journey and he and he goes and and he plants this church in Corinth. This is a major accomplishment. This is a profoundly important Gentile city right on the major east west trade route. This is a huge step forward in the fulfilling of the Great Commission and the ability to be able to reach the Gentile world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, I've got to head back home and give a report. And so he leaves Corinth. He comes across and, and, and he sees Ephesus. And he sees a second city that's of profound importance. That's on this east-west trade route that connected Asia across to Europe. And this this is where all commerce flows. This is where information flows. This is the information highway. I planted a church in Corinth. Look at Ephesus. Wow. And he leaves and he goes back home uh, realizing this amazing uh, opportunity. Next slide, please. And then later on, he goes on his third missionary journey. On his third missionary journey, he again leaves Antioch. He hits the churches here. But he's making a beeline to Ephesus because Ephesus, to fulfill the Great Commission, if we could get a thriving church in Ephesus and a thriving church in, in Corinth on this information highway east and west, this is huge in world evangelism. This is huge in getting the gospel to the Gentiles. And then he goes into an hour of darkness. It's an hour of brokenness that he describes in a variety of passages. He finds out that the churches in Galatia are all gone south doctrinally. That's why he wrote Galatians. Paul is in an hour of darkness. Because the Galatian churches are all gone south. And you know what they're going south on? Heretical preachers from Jerusalem preaching, you you Gentiles have got to keep the law of Moses to be saved. It is the modern day false gospel that you hear anywhere in Christianity that leaves you with the impression there's something you have to do to earn salvation. And Paul realizes the churches in Galatia are succumbing to the heretical teaching. Then he finds out the church in Corinth is succumbing 
to the heretical teaching. And then he gets run out of Ephesus by a mob. And he begins to describe his brokenheartedness. My life's been a failure. Everything I've done to start churches in the Gentile world, it's all on the line. Everything is falling apart. He said when he got out of Ephesus, he went up to Troas and he said he didn't think he was going to live. He thought he was going to die. And then he began to describe with adjective after adjective, phrase after phrase in 2 Corinthians describing how low he was emotionally, physically, a broken missionary facing total failure in every place that he had served as a missionary. And in this hour of darkness, well, we'll we'll see where the tragedy goes from there.